Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. He grew up living and working in Groton and became a tech entrepreneur. We talk with Robert Boris to find out why he now wants to get involved with local politics and represent the 41st District. And we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. 2022 is an election year and many local legislators and representatives are looking for re-election and some have decided to step down, giving the opportunity for new faces and voices to seek those open seats. Robert Boris is a tech entrepreneur based in Groton and has decided to step into the world of local politics for the 41st District. I caught up with Robert at his offices in Groton recently for a candid conversation about why he's doing it and what he believes he can bring to the table. Robert, thanks for joining us. It's the question that I'm sure you've been asked by everybody since you've started doing media, so like interviews, is why do you want to go into politics? I mean, it's such a different world to what you're used to. It, it is. It is true. But first of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate the question. I think that, you know, I have something I, to contribute to the conversation. I think I can add value. I'm 51 years old. I've had the benefit of a great education and a lot of experience running a business in the 41st District. My parents started a company on Dame Street when I was 11, so I grew up working here and uh, have some a lot of practical knowledge and also, as I said, uh, some educational experience. And I think it's incumbent upon people who, who have those opportunities to give back at a certain time in their life. And I think that at this particular time, my skills in business and my ability to work in a bipartisan way and a, a not-so-political way, a more data-driven way, is needed. So, you know, I talked it over with my teen girls, and they said, you know, Dad, get in there and, uh, and see what you can do. So here I am. It's good, obviously, that people will be now aware that you are a local. I mean, I think that always obviously helps with politics. Let me put this to you, and I'm just going to be quite blunt in this question. As you said, you're 51 years old. You're a white male. What difference are you going to be bringing that people haven't brought already? You know, because people are going to look at you and go, well, that's great. He's an executive. He's made money. He's got some white privilege. But how does he connect with me? Difference in terms of? Well, certainly if we're talking about the black and brown communities of the area. I mean, how are you going to connect with those communities as against the white community? I don't see the world in terms of black or white in that way. I understand that my particular background gives me a perspective on things. Like my dad is a first-generation American. He grew up in Europe in... uh, 1957, they came to this country, and he has that experience building a company and building a life here in America from nothing, having nothing, and serving the country in the armed services, not speaking the language, and I, I'm a product of that. So I think that perspective is very valuable. And I also understand that 
our minority communities have a different perspective and a different experience of how our state and local system has supported them, given them access and opportunity to education and economic support, educational support, and those things. So I think there's there needs to be a diversity of opinion, and all voices need to be heard. And so, yeah, I think I can bring my voice to the table to listen to, share my experiences, listen to minority experiences, and decide how to solve problems that we're experiencing you know, today in our community. One of the people that you're going to be up against is Democrat Andre Baumgartner, who's actually been, who's held this position before. He then lost it to Joe Dela Cruz. He's going up against you. You're the Republican candidate. Andre is the Democrat representative. He's got, even at his younger age, more political background than you have. He understands maybe the situation possibly a little bit better. So what are your thoughts, obviously, about your competitor? When you say understands the situation a little bit better. Can I get a little more clarity on what what you're speaking about? Are you talking about the way politics works? Well, certainly he's got a political background, so that could be an advantage for him because maybe he understands how it works because the point I suppose I'm trying to make is the business world is a very different world to the political world. Even our own governor has seen that in that as a successful businessman himself, the political world and also sort of how that works, how it can be slower, how it cannot be as nimble, how it has to go through different steps. How are all of those things going to work for you? Because even he's stumbled with that, and we're now seeing the results of some of that at the moment by way of an FBI investigation into the state. Right. And you, won't, how, you, won't and how see, you won't see me defending Lamont's record for sure. Of course, but, yeah. but that's my point is as a businessman then, up against, as I say, somebody who has a political background how do you feel going up against andre so the question is as a businessman as a businessman uh you succeed in business by solving other people's problems so that's a one-to-one translation to a state representative and the skills that you build as a businessman creating relationships understanding the needs of a constituency are exactly the same Some of the issues that you've actually got on your website, I mean, there's three things which I think you're sort of like your campaign is is highlighted. You've got diversity of thought, honest governance and growth and stewardship. Let's talk about those because they are, as I say, the three things that you're working for. What does diversity of thought mean for you? So I'll give a good example. So to your point about different backgrounds. In business, my, my company has always succeeded by making sure that everybody at the table comes with as many different perspectives on a problem as possible. That means the way they grew up, their opportunities that they had, uh, their skill sets, and having a diversity of thought at the table allows you to see problems, anticipate issues, and create products and services that benefit a broader base of people. So that's a key thing, and it's always been a, a strategic advantage, I think. And a, a particular advantage uh, example in my business world is we created a piece of software from technical publications that allowed maintainers uh, to, to have a tool when they were overhauling jet engines. And in order to do that, we didn't come at it from the perspective of just a, uh, a software programming perspective. We talked to the mechanics who who turn the wrenches and actually do the overhaul, who before this tool they had just, you know, an offline book 
and you know the the people that were creating the manuals had regulations for them to have to have these books but they weren't helping them do their job so by having them at the table when we were building a tool we were to create something that's useful that's helpful to them doing their job that actually enhanced the quality of the work product enhanced the quality of the job that they were doing and uh, you know created more opportunities for growth in that area so that's an example of the practical application. I don't understand the argument why diversity isn't an asset. I think it's a tremendous asset. And I think uh, on the community level, every voice should be listened to and every voice is valuable. And if, if you're looking to serve the community and you're li- looking to solve problems on a local level, it just doesn't make sense to me why you wouldn't embrace that. But do you acknowledge that there has been a lack of diversity in this state and there continues to be a lack of diversity? I mean, the, the black and brown community have argued consistently that from, you know, from health care to voting rights, there has been inequities. And we've seen survey after survey come up about how there have been barriers to the black and brown community. So, like I said, how do you address that? How do you get them on side as well and say to them, you hear them? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. The data bears it out. I'm a data guy. The data is absolutely unequivocally supporting exactly what you said. So how you bear it out is you have more conversations and you address the issues. You look at what are the underlying causes and what is the outcome we want to see and how do we engage the entire community in rectifying that? What is an equitable solution to doing that that creates the society we want to live in? Absolutely. These are very, very important questions, and it's an undeniable issue that we have to deal with in the 21st century. My point is that in dealing with that, instead of being divisive, right, it's an opportunity to embrace the rich diversity that we have here that hasn't been exploited, exploited in terms of their knowledge and their opportunity. It's only been exploited in a negative way. Let's turn it into a positive. Let's, let's not have you know, my experience versus your experience. Let's have a, this is our experience. Let's come together and discuss these things. And and in doing that, address the real issues of the future, the real job opportunities that we need for this area. You know, we can't have one or the other. We have to walk and chew gum at the same time. And I think, you know, it's, it's upsetting to watch it being ignored or it being the only focus. I think we can, this community is better than that. We have a lot of assets and I think there's a lot of people at the table that want to go, all right, how can, what, what do we need to do? Let's have these conversations. One other point, let's have these conversations at a local level. One of my issues with you know, what you're discussing, diversity and inclusion, is Hartford's approach to this a lot of times is taking the decision-making away from local communities in terms of zoning laws and other things. If there's going to be a discussion about equity and inclusion. Let's have a town meeting with your friends and neighbors and talk about what you see is a systemic problem that is in a zoning regulation that should be addressed and then deal with it here. There's a, there's a sense of frustration growing that there's an agenda brewing that takes away the voice of local people to, to be sort of discussed on high of how these problems should be handled from Hartford, right? And, so and is that part of your honest governance thing that you're running on as well, then? Well, because that's another thing that people clearly are seeing at the moment, is politicians, with the greatest of respect, are not held 
in the highest of regards. And that's because a lot of people feel that for yeah. what you've just said yeah. is they are not heard. You know, they vote these people in and then they're not heard afterwards. Well, two things. First of all, there's also a lot of pandering. You know, there's a lot of people that see issues that are very good at 30 to 60 second sound bites, and they're not really doing anything for the environmental movement or anything else. So, honest governments, I'll give you an example tied to the environment. It's simple. It's been discussed before. There's fees that the DMV takes for clean air and clean water, right? Can we agree that if a fee is taken in the name of environmental improvement that it's spent there? Like, why is that a – that shouldn't be a bipartisan issue. Where Where are – other people on this issue. Why can't we agree to have some legislation enacted for truth and governance, that these fees, because that's the average voter thinks that these things are going to these laudable causes. They're not. And it's a game that has to stop. It's, you know, manipulation of our language. And that's one of the things in honest government. Say what you mean and mean what you say. I'd rather have someone say, I can't do this, or this is what's happening, than, you know, than someone tell me, yes, 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 and improvements don't happen. And I think diversity of opinion, too, is, you know, Harford has one set of individuals up there that have one mindset, right? And a lot of times there is a sense of superiority, like, I have a good heart, so I can manipulate the language to get my agenda across because it's so much, it's really good for everybody. And the other side is negative, and they want to take all your rights away, and, or they, they are not inclusive. And that's just not the case. You know, these are hard conversations, absolutely. Long overdue, absolutely. But these are important conversations to have locally and take action. Let's talk about growth and stewardship. What do you mean by those two words? What does that mean to you? In order for, you know, there to be, our community needs to, to to be balanced. We need to have growth. And in having growth, we need job growth for, for individuals to stay here after they leave college. They have to have job opportunities. They have to have the ability to, um, to raise a family or to pursue their happiness in our district. So in doing that, you need to have a sense of stewardship for the land and the resources here. You, there, there are certain developments that fit in the 41st, and there's things that don't. A lot of the focus, back to the pandering issue, is it's easy to say no to everything. And a lot of people think it's very popular. The data centers came up, it was an issue. And there's tough discussions that need to happen. And a lot of politicians just want to say things that make people happy, make it seem like, like, I said no, I protected you for this, I protected you this. What you need to look at is both sides of the equation. We need the revenue to increase to provide the services and the equity and inclusion programs that we need here. We have to pay for things, right? So there needs to be some thought and conscious decision on what we want to see here and how we attract the right businesses that create the jobs of the future. And they go hand in hand. Do you think part of Connecticut's problem has been that businesses have been offered lucrative tax reductions or special programming and this was done before the current administration i mean the malloy administration was known for giving these special little deals that you know if they employed so many people that they had tax reductions or whatever of course that reduces you know what you're saying the money coming in and i think and i think we can probably agree that's probably what turns people the average person who's just trying to like you know pay their bills live their life that's probably what turns them away from some of this as well, because all they see is, you know, the state is giving handouts to these big organisations. And it's like, but what are we getting for it? Where's the tax coming? And, and all they see is their own property taxes go up. Yeah, I agree with that. 
but it's only part of the problem. And that's where the conversation stops, right? And that's kind of the only part of the problem we discuss. I agree, Lamont attracted data centers here, gave them huge tax incentives, but then never explained to anyone why and just let everyone defend for themselves. Local towns had to deal with understanding what it would be, how it fits in. It, it was, it's just irresponsible, and there's no reason for that. But there's another discussion that's much more important to be having here. You know, we just had COVID, and everyone is very used to remote work. What does that mean when you can have all classes of people working all throughout the United States remotely? How do you compete in a job market for that? We're not just talking about offshoring jobs. You're talking about someone can work for someone in North Carolina that has a job here in Connecticut. So if you're raising your local taxes here, you may displace some jobs to, to other states. So there's, there's another level of competition for jobs in the future and sustainable communities that we're just now, I think, waking up to that needs to start to be had here. And this gets me back to growth and stewardship. We need to exploit the great aspects of the 41st. We have Mystics, we have Stonington, we have a lot of well-known tourist attractions and a beautiful open space. And those things create a quality of life that will attract people that want to work here remotely for companies in other states or around the world. So I think just getting into the, I'm not denying there's absolutely this push for tax set-asides and incentives and all this nonsense is, I just think it's a little ridiculous across the board, but that's not the only problem. In the problem comes the solution. We have to take advantage of the assets we have here to attract more professional and give access to young people that grow up in our communities to be trained with skills and knowledge to compete globally and, and live in a beautiful community. That, of course, is the ideal that any state would want. But here, and even in this particular area, the 41st District, Mystic has parking issues, which is a constant problem, which they don't seem to be able to solve. We've got transportation issues here in the state that 95 becomes basically a parking lot at certain times of the year. How do you solve some of those problems? Because until you solve some of those problems and also affordable housing, because we've got some pretty expensive housing, until you solve some of those, how do you even think that you're going to encourage people to come into this particular area? Because if, if these things aren't there, then people are going to say, well, why? Why am I going to live there? Why am I going to move there? It's a great question regarding affordable housing. So I ask myself this question. If Electric Boat has all these jobs and... There's so much opportunity. Why is the market, why is there not market rate housing filling the the gap, the need here in Groton? So that's where you need to start. Like, are there underlying issues with our municipality uh, in the town council or the zoning regulations that are not attracting developers here? It seems like there, there should be more, right? I mean, the market should work and it doesn't seem to be filling the gap. Are there issues that Hartford is creating related to, you know, making Connecticut less business friendly with the tax structures and things that is exacerbating that? Affordable housing is a hot topic. You know, there's also some equity and inclusion discussions. There's a, a group, Desegregate Connecticut, who has some ideas about that as well. I don't know that I necessarily agree to all of it, but I'm, I'm listening. I'm trying to understand what the underlying issues are here so we can actually take some steps to solve them, not just an election cycle, get elected, another group comes in and nothing happens, 
and the state doesn't move forward. So transportation, absolutely. There's different technologies that are evolving, you know, different apps and things that can help you, you know, manage off-site parking issues in Mystic and things like that. But again, these are hard issues. I will come back to the point, though, that all of these hard issues, all of these decisions should be made by the local towns. It should be made in district. There is a push in Hartford that because it's difficult and because we haven't made enough progress in a certain area here or there, it should be appropriated to Hartford. I do not see why one group of individuals locally is worse to do that than a group of individuals in Hartford that know less about the area, that have less of a connection. Final question to you, and thank you for your time. There's been discussion, not just recently, I mean, it's been an ongoing debate for quite a while about whether or not the state should have a full-time legislator, not the part-time legislator that it has. Do you think it should have a full-time legislator, and would that help the situation? That's a good question. I don't have an answer to that right now. I'm sort of so new at this, I haven't given a lot of thought to whether the position I'm running should be full-time. I heard Joe De La Cruz, who held this seat prior, mention that in his reason for not running, and I think that's a shame to lose voices that otherwise could and should be at the table and have a lot to contribute because of finances of that. So it's definitely a very good question to listen to. However, the other side of what I just said has more to do with, like, I think there may be some more local committees and councils and things that maybe should be paid positions so they can be handled better here rather than regionalization and appropriation in Hartford. You know, there there is an argument for compensating individuals to do a professional job and also to make sure that individuals who don't have the economic means can participate in the discussion and still earn a living and be represented at the table. I'm just not sure adding more full-time legislators at the state level. Robert Boris running for the 41st District. Ever so many thanks for the interview. And if you want to find out more about Robert Boris and his campaign to become the next state representative for the 41st district, visit his website at robertboris41.com. It's mulch season, so come and visit Green Valley Tree LLC. We have a variety of colors for all your landscaping needs. Buy as much or as little as you want, pick it up, or we can deliver to your door. Call Green Valley Tree LLC for all your mulch, plant health care, and tree service needs at 860-234-4041 or find us at 577 Boston Post Road, North Windham, Connecticut. We are family owned and fully licensed. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently, sponsored by... Every number tells a story. A true story. Connecticut by the Numbers explores breakthroughs and challenges, issues and answers. Behind the headlines, across the state, follow the numbers. Connecticut news that counts. ctnumbers.news. Business and local leaders based in northeastern Connecticut got to question their local state representatives and senators recently at a legislative breakfast organized by the Northeastern Connecticut Chamber of Commerce. 
One of the hot-button issues was that of increasing property taxes in the region, which are used to help cover the high proportion of non-profits and other tax-exempt service providers in the area. Susie Hobart is a realtor and looks after the interests of homeowners and around 1,100 realtors in New London and Wyndham counties, and had this to say to the assembled legislators. What, for any of you, would be one of the ways to not have to use the fallback of increasing property taxes to solve the problem. We have a lot of businesses here that uh, don't want taxes raised. Um, We're a high tax state. What is the answer? I don't want it to be property tax. Other issues raised include unemployment compensation, patient transportation services, and how money from the American Rescue Plan Act will be used long term for the state. It's been four weeks now since the computer systems of the town of Plainfield, Connecticut and their police department were cyber-attacked using ransomware and shutting them out of important information and resources. William Wolfberg is the deputy chief of Plainfield Police and says although much hasn't changed, public safety has not been compromised. Currently, the majority of our systems are still down. We were able to reconnect our phone lines. So when we were first hit, we went down to a routine line and a 911 line. Now we have our four routine lines and both our 911 lines back up and running, which was our primary concern. Wolfberg added their biggest concern, though, is for their officers when they receive emergency calls at the moment. The major thing is the officer's safety. When we go to calls, we're going there blind. We can't do a past history check. We can't run people without utilizing other agencies, so it's not at our fingertips at this moment. So as far as the community, it's a relatively low impact, but as far as the officers and the safety of the response, it's high impact. The town is estimated it could be three months before they and the police are fully back online at a cost of around $300,000. The identity of the cyber attackers and how they managed to hijack the town's systems has not been disclosed. The town's first selectman's office was asked for an update on the cyber attack situation and stated they would not be commenting any further on the ongoing matter. A time capsule set to be opened 50 years in the future has been buried at Lawrence Memorial Hospital in New London in part of their new emergency department building. Patrick Green is the CEO and president of LM and explained what future hospital leaders will find when they open it. Mementos of our times and lives over the last couple of years. They will find empty vaccine vials, PCR COVID tests, copies of our publications, many photos, and of course, our masks and other items that we hope the future leaders and staff will recognize our commitment to our vision, our mission and values in caring for this community. The COVID-themed time capsule is part of the hospital's new $84 million upgrade to its emergency services department and is made from the same pipe material housing the project's electrical conduits. The project, which started two years late due to COVID, is expected to be completed in 2024 and will provide new amenities to hospital visitors as well as two generators that will protect the hospital's power supply during adverse weather conditions. Connecticut advocates have been hosting a week of action asking Governor Ned Lamont and legislators to expand Husky Health, the state's Medicaid program, to all undocumented immigrants. Emily Scott from the Connecticut News Service reports. The Immigrant Futures Week of Action, hosted by the Husky for Immigrants Coalition, comes after a bill extending coverage to all undocumented minors failed to pass in the Human Services Committee. 
Carolina Bordaletto with the coalition says they want officials to include funding to expand Husky in the state budget. Healthcare is a human right. No one should be denied healthcare and a chance of survival because of their immigration status. Connecticut can include it in the budget to give healthcare to undocumented kids. It's a long-term investment in the health of Connecticut that will pay off. Immigrant parents and caretakers will head to the Capitol to share their stories. Healthcare providers will deliver a letter to legislators in support of coverage for undocumented residents. Critics of extending coverage warn it could lead to waves of medical migration, though that claim hasn't been proven. I'm Emily Scott. A Mystic Aquarium is spearheading a national youth conservation initiative through 28 states and several Native American reservations to engage underserved youth communities on environmental issues. Katie Kubina is Senior Vice President of Missions Programs at Mystic Aquarium and will help to head up the initiative. This funding, $1.5 million, is being invested into communities around the country and including Puerto Rico to work with them collaboratively on building STEM and environmental education skills with the ultimate goal of environmental stewardship. This summer, the aquarium will bring together teen mentors from across the country for a series of intensive workshops to help build leadership and advocacy skills and connect with the aquarium's own research and conservation efforts. Money for the program has come from a grant from the U.S. Department of Justice and will see each community awarded around $30,000 to help towards implementing their individual programs. That's all from this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.